Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, man, do I have the best deal for you. How about going with my friends at Bet Online? This is one of the busiest times of year. College football, NFL, hockey is starting, NBA upcoming, baseball playoffs soon as well. Plus, hey, the Ryder Cup so you can lay some money down on Team USA as well. 50% off your welcome bonus today with Bet Online. Head on over to betonline.ag. That's betonline.ag. It's a 50% bonus up to $1,000 with our promo code BELIEVE. That's B L E A V. B L E A V. Bet Online. Betonline.ag is the website. Bet Online, where the game starts. Fall is simply football season, and fans across the country are hoping that preseason hype leads to postseason success. In the NFL, we'll see if early Super Bowl favorites like the Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers, and Bills can hold off up-and-comers. And college football fans are wondering if Georgia will make it a three-peat or if top-ranked challengers like Michigan or Florida State can take home the national championship trophy. The college football and NFL seasons are defined by big plays, injuries, and coaching decisions. As a football fan, I also want to hear about the behind-the-scenes and off-field stories that shape the season. The football interviews and topics you hear on the ML Sports Platter are shaped by lessons learned at St. Bonaventure University. The online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism at St. Bonnie equips reporters and hosts for digital storytelling across the sports world. Students learn how to tell compelling stories through digital and traditional platforms. They are also encouraged to envision the future of sports journalism with their capstone projects. This 100% online degree builds on decades of academic excellence, and I'm a proud Bonnie, and I can tell you that you can join me in a growing list of notable graduates, including the New York Post's Mike Vaccaro and ESPN's Raina Banks. In fact, you'll hear from an accomplished alum or industry expert during video masterclasses in each course. Contact an enrollment advisor at sbujournalism.com. That's sbujournalism.com today to learn more about the online Master of Sports Journalism. That's sbujournalism.com. What's going on, everybody? Paul Bissonnette here from the Spit and Chicklets podcast and now the TNT broadcast. I just want to give everybody a shout out and make sure you tune in to the ML Sports Platter. Email Sports Platter back with you all over the major platforms. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. We are brought to you by Bonnet Sales and Service, Welch and Company Jewelers, Ken's Auto Detailing, and our friend Brian Conboy, Mass Mutual, New York State, tax efficient retirement planning. Make sure you go with Brian today at advisors.massmutual.com. So, we recently lost a, a coaching legend, obviously, in terms of Bobby Knight, and just kind of wanted to get back into at least a you know a little appreciation podcast here. Uh, as many of you know, I do them just in general, maybe an athlete's in his prime or someone retires or someone passes and um, definitely wanted to uh, do something on Bobby Knight because there was really no one like him. And I know that a lot of times when somebody passes or someone retires or something happens, you know, historically, um, you know, like perhaps let's say Alexander Ovechkin's about to break the the goal record for, uh, you know, the NHL, right? And a lot of people might say, well, Alexander Ovechkin has to be this, 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 and this now more than Wayne Gretzky. And simply put, no, uh, he, he would just have more goals than Gretzky. Would he be a greater goal scorer? You'd have to compare the errors and make your own uh, determination. Um you know, maybe there are a couple people who would say that he's the greater player, which would be crazy, right? Because Gretzky, I think, is the GOAT. But again, some people have their own thoughts. Some people think Lemieux is or is, uh, you know, people look at different eras and defense and all that. So um, anyway, uh, appreciation pods come together for more than 
uh, you know, not just the guy and not just the accomplishment and all the rest, but, you know, the era and, and kind of the uniqueness to it. And I think, you know, some people get caught up in, you know, the here and now and the, you know, living in the moment and all the rest and saying and jumping to uh, some kind of a, well, it's this now, it's this second. You know, with, but with Bobby Knight, it really, really was true. There was no one quite like him. I mean, when you look at the winning and how he changed the game with the motion offense and everything that happened, but then you look at all the other stuff, the off-court off the court things, the temper, uh, choking the kid, right? Uh, all of his unbelievable media uh, press conferences and all that. Uh, there wasn't anyone quite like Bobby Knight. Like Jim Beheim would go after the media and local uh, local scene, and, and I was a part of that um, for a little stretch there until I just stopped asking him questions and I told him that. Um, but, you know, Jim Beheim never choked a kid, <laughs> you know? And there weren't a lot of things that went over as far to the night side uh, with him or, or many other coaches. Um, but Bobby Knight was was a guy who, you know, he changed the game. Um, he, he, he had a different knack for things. He was a lot more strict as a head coach as well in terms of the academics. So you got really all of it with Bobby Knight, didn't you? And uh, he has died now at the age of uh, 83. And, you know, you go back to the whole thing. You know, you go back to his days, you know, playing at Ohio State and, um, you know, learning the game and, and just being such a tremendous, tremendous basketball mind early, um, you know, and, you know, he played for Fred Taylor, which is a huge thing. Um, he learned from him at Ohio State, um, and he was a reserve on the 60 Ohio State team, and, and there was probably good reason for that because they won the NCAA championship, and they had a couple of guys by the name of Jerry Lucas and John Havlicek. <laughs> so real good chance you're going to be, uh, you know, on the bench. But, um, you know, that was really where it all started for for Bobby Knight, you know, at Ohio State. And, um, you know, he was a guy who was a serviceable player, but by no means um, was a, a, a legend in the making, you know, as a player. Um, and then... You know, you could kind of tell from a lot of people way back when that coaching was probably it for him. And and we know that some of the elite players in the history of the game have not turned out to be great coaches. I mean, look at Larry Bird, for example. Um, but then you look at uh, a role player like a Steve Kerr, right? Or you look like uh, look at a role player like a Phil Jackson. And I don't want to hear all this. Stuff. Well, he had Steph Curry. He had Michael Jordan. He had Shaq and Kobe. He had Scottie Pippen. Listen legendary great players, they go together with head coaches and vice versa. That's just how this thing goes. If you're going to win championships, if you're going to be elite, if you're going to do things uh, at a high level, uh, at an elite level, uh, they go hand in hand in every single sport. The thing is with the legends of the game who have legends on their team is the way they handle that situation. Take Joe Torre in the 90s, right? He came in, he was called Clueless Joe, had failed in every other manager endeavor pretty much, you know, New York, St. Louis, Atlanta. Uh, why would he? Why would you ever hire Joe Torre? He's not going to be able to handle New York. He's got, you know, uh, this huge payroll and this and this and that, but, you know, the pressure and he's not going to be able to handle. Well, guess what he did? He was actually the right guy at the right time to handle all that. And I think that's one thing that people don't understand. Like, it, it's easy to say, like, well, you have Jordan Pippen. Well, yeah, but with that, you have ego. You have expectation. You know, you added Dennis Rodman in the second go-round. You add a lot to it. There's layers to it. You have to handle all that. Um, Joe Torre had the payroll. He had to deal with George Steinbrenner. He had to deal with New York and the pressure. And once they started winning again, that was it. Like, you're either winning or you're a loser. So, um, you know, people kind of miss that a little bit, right? Like, you know, Chuck Noll. Well, how hard it could have been with Bradshaw and Swan and, you know, uh, Stallworth and Franco Harris and, you know, Rocky Blyer and the Steel Curtain and Mean Joe and all those guys. Like, how hard really could it have been? And, 
well, you still got to win games. You still got to, you know, keep that team together and all the rest. So uh, it's it, it, it goes hand in hand. Um, you know, certainly you have to have great players and great coaches. Um, you know, most people would lean towards the great player thing, uh, you know, to, 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 to get you those trophies. But, um, you know, by no means do quarterbacks do it on their own and head coaches do it on their own. Usually they're together. You know, Bill Belichick, Brady, you know, uh, Montana, Walsh, um, a million examples through the years, right? And it's no different in basketball. And I think Bobby Knight, you know, turned out to be one of these role guys who just really saw the game at an early, early level. Um, although he did make an impact in the 61 championship game, came off the bench with uh, under two minutes to go. And, uh, you know, Ohio State was uh, down two to Cincinnati and uh, got the ball uh, left front court and uh, faked to drive into the middle. And then he kind of crossed over like, uh, he was working out his entire life in the backyard, as they say, and drove uh, right in and laid it in and it tied the game uh, and uh, obviously ran across the floor like an 100-yard dash sprinter, according to uh, Frank Truitt, uh, who was the assistant coach of Ohio State at the time. And uh, the quote was, see there, coach, I should have been in that game a long time ago, which uh, Truitt had replied, sit down, you hot dog, you're lucky you're even on the floor. Um but that was night. You know, he was confident early. He learned the game early and he got done with Ohio State and he coached right out of the gate. I mean, he was a junior varsity basketball co- coach at, uh, uh, at Cayuga Falls High School in Ohio, coached there for a year. Then he went into the Army and he served on active duty from June 63 to June 65 and in the U.S. Army Reserves from 65 to 69. And he conducted initial training at uh, Fort Leonard Wood, uh, Missouri. And then he went to West Point and he became a uh, private first class. And, you know, during this period of time, uh, it was Knight who was kind of slowly but surely kind of working his way into Army. He becomes an assistant, then he becomes the head coach uh, for Army. And it was during this time when he had a a youngster by the name of Mike Krzyzewski, um, you know, playing for him. And um, really unbelievable that two of the greatest, I think, coaches, probably two of the top four or five, and I'll get to my Mount Rushmore in a second, but two of the four or five greatest coaches, you know, are at Army at the time. One's a player, one is the uh, is the head coach. It was just uh, mind-boggling. And so he grinds an army, and he works uh, right through till 1971, and then he goes to Indiana. And um, by the way, at Army, um, he won 102 games um, and went to four NITs when it really mattered. People don't realize that today, but the NIT was as big a deal, if not a bigger deal than the NCAA. Uh, a lot of times, if you went to the NIT, maybe had a choice to go to the NIT or the NCAA, and everybody picked the NIT, uh, it was the tournament. Uh, that's why the banner that's hanging in the Riley Center at my school, St. Bonaventure, people don't realize how huge that is. That's basically like a national championship today that's hanging in that in those rafters. Uh, it is very rare for you to find uh, an NIT championship banner when it mattered most and a Final Four banner in any school in America. Bonaventure has that. Um, and, you know, when people talk about, well, the history, well, they went to NITs, it doesn't matter. Back then, it mattered. Trust me. Go read something. Go look at it. Go talk to people. Go, you know, go listen to people talk about, you know, the game decades ago, and you'll find out real quick about how huge the NIT was, seriously. Um, You know, it's like basically getting a number one or two seed in the NCAA today. I mean, really, it it was that big. 
Um, and so he coaches Shashevsky. Obviously, he goes through. He had the explosive temper early. People knew it. Um, you know, he lost control, kicked lockers, and, and was blasting officials um, in a loss to uh, BYU. Uh, in the NIT in 66. So a lot of it was established, obviously, but it did not steer uh, Indiana away as they hired uh, Knight as head coach. And I mean, just listen to these numbers, man. 29 years at the school, and they won 662 games, including 22 seasons of 20 or more wins. And they lost 239, which if you're doing the math at home, that's a 735 win percentage and 24 NCAA tournament appearances as well. Uh, The Hoosiers won 42 of 63 games, which is absurd for a 667 winning percentage. And he won titles in 76, in 81, and 1987. And if you're a Syracuse fan, you want to forget that quick with the Keith Smart shot from the corner after Derek Coleman failed at the free throw line. But you just cannot um, overstate the impact that he had in the game of basketball at Indiana. Uh, the motion offense, um, the, the 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 time too was huge. You know, uh, he welcomed in black players. Uh, he welcomed in academics. Uh, he, he wanted to do things right despite the volatile temper and all the rest. He did want to be the best head coach and best leader he possibly could be. Um, you know, when the 76 champion team went to, you know, President Gerald Ford's, uh, uh, you know, ceremony at the White House, it was it was a celebration with many, many black players up front. And again, coming off the, the decade of the 60s and still a lot of social and racial angst in the country, uh, Bob Knight did not shy away from, you know, proving to people how important it was to mix players and be, um, you know, uh, uh, influential in, in the basketball and sports world and really in America, uh, especially in the Midwest where a lot of the Midwest towns and countries were still struggling with racism quite a bit. I think Bobby Knight did a tremendous job with that. Um, you know, 72, 73, Indiana wins the big 10 championship. They go to the final four. They lose to the UCLA who didn't, uh, which, uh, was on its way to its seventh consecutive title. That was during that huge heyday. Of course, you know, Alcindor and Walton and all the rest that long tenure for John Wooden. Then the following year, uh, Indiana wins the big 10 title two following seasons. Hoosiers go undefeated in the regular season. They win 37 big 10 games, uh, two more big 10 championships. They keep going, keep rocking. Um, uh, obviously, uh, they swept the entire Big Ten by an average of over 22 points a game, which is just insane. But they did lose Scott May to a broken left arm. Um, and then obviously um, it limited him to, to seven minutes of play uh, when Indiana lost to Kentucky in that Midwest, uh, Mideast regional rather. Um, but you know what? Uh, this is what was remarkable about Bobby Knight's teams, right? So they lost, sure, but the Hoosiers were so dominant that they had Scott May, Steve Green, Kent Benson, and Quinn Buckner, who would make the five-man All-Big Ten team. I mean, just remarkable. Even losing, you know, in that in that uh, in that situation, they still were able to do that. And and that was, God, you look at those numbers, man. You know, like, geez, I mean, twenty-two point eight points per game. You know, sweeping the entire Big Ten by. I mean, that, that's that's insane. It's just crazy. Uh, Scott May was a great player. Uh, an All-American. Uh, Bob Knight knew how to recruit to his program. He recruited the big boys like May and others and role players, and he just knew you know, who to get. And uh, that was an unfortunate loss for them in the Mideast. And then 75-76 was, was ridiculous. I mean, they went the entire season in NCAA tournament without a single loss. Still the last undefeated team. They beat Michigan in the title game, 86-68. And it was just, it was, it was just an unbelievable run. Um, and after the game, Knight had said that it should have been two, um, obviously, and, and, you know, the 76 Hoosiers 
They remain the last undefeated team in men's basketball. I mean, I don't think you'll ever see that again. Uh, and through these two seasons uh, that Knight coached, uh, his teams were undefeated in the regular season, including 37-0 and in the Big Ten games, on their way to a third and fourth conference titles in a row. And, you know, look, they had Mike Woodson. They won the 79 NIT championship. I and mean, it kept going and going and going. Now, look, yeah, there were controversies across the board. There's no doubt, um, you know, between, um, you know, the, 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 the temper um, and the craziness on the court and, and all that. But what's, what's amazing through the years is, even though he had a ton of great players, with the NBA situation, not a lot of players went to the NBA from Indiana. You know, he had really only, I believe, one NBA All-Star on all of his teams I read and heard recently, and that was Isaiah Thomas, obviously, who was a darn good one. Um, and, you know, Mike Woods and Isaiah Thomas, they won the Big Ten Championship and went to the Sweet 16 in 1980. Uh, and then Isaiah Thomas and the Hoosiers won, uh, again, a conference title and won the uh, 81 NCAA Tournament. And that was Knight's second national championship. So he really was able to mix players together. Um we know that John Feinstein, who I've had on a million times, and I wanted to get to this uh, in the next part of the podcast, but Bobby Knight was able to create the best-selling, I think it's still the best-selling sports book or one of them. It's certainly Feinstein's best-selling one, but he was so crazy and so temperamental and such a unique figure, um, you know, such an, such an unbelievable figurehead in the game of college basketball that he enabled one of the best writers to write a book and have that much success you know, in terms of bestseller, which is really saying something about who Bobby Knight was. So I'm going to get to that in a second and more appreciating Bobby Knight here on the ML Sports Platter brought to you by Stanley Law Offices, Ken's Auto Detailing, and Barks and Rec Doggy Daycare. Mike Lindsley back with you here. It is the ML Sports Platter brought to you by our great friends over at the Al and Angus Pub before and after all the big events. Make sure you head on over to the Al and Angus Pub for the best darn Angus burger in town. And you can also grab their toasted ravioli appetizer, seafood bisque soup when they've got it on uh, order as well. And yes, great beers on tap in the bottle and in the can as well. The Al and Angus Pub, the official pub of the ML Sports Platter. So in 85-86, Indiana, uh, they were profiled in the best-selling book of season on the brink. And Knight granted John Feinstein all this unprecedented access to the program, practices, insights, his private life, all that sort of thing. And um, it really kind of brought Knight to the forefront of like who this dude really is, you know, and his unique personality and, you know, people's jaws hit the floor. And, um, you know, I don't know if we've ever really had a situation where a successful head coach at the time probably was the best head coach in college basketball. Um, you know, Denny Crum was around then. You could argue for some others. Jim Beheim was in his early, you know, he was like seven, eight, nine years in, but nowhere near the success of Bobby Knight. You know, uh, Coach K, I think, was trying to get the Duke program going. You could definitely throw Dean Smith in the conversation. But at that moment, I mean, with the multiple titles and the impact and how he was guiding his Indiana teams, you could easily pencil in number one being Bobby Knight. And then... You know, for him to open up the doors to Feinstein, you know, I don't know. I mean, that would kind of be like Bill Belichick in 20 years being like, yo, I'm, I won like a million Super Bowls. Uh, why don't anybody can kind of come in here and write about me? Go ahead. And I'm going to tell you all about this and that, my personal life. And uh, no way, man, especially with social media now. No way. Like a lot of these biographies that come out from the best writers out there now, like, and I've had them all on, but like, you know, Eno Connor and a bunch of these guys who write about everybody. 
Um, a lot of times the figure they're writing about, like, you know, the Jeff Benedicts and the Armin Katayans, like the figure they're writing about does not agree to talk at all. You have to get interviews from friends and family and, you know, uh, competitors, like you don't get the horse's mouth. And so I think that says something about how influential Knight was during his tenure uh, as well. And then obviously they beat Syracuse in the 87 title game. Um, Key Smart makes that shot. We'll just leave it there. Uh, uh, the Hoosiers were led by Steve Alford, obviously, and they captured a share of the Big Ten title. Um, you know, and then he went on and, and, and kept coaching, and obviously he got dismissed from Indiana, and it was a, uh, you know, kind of a, a, an ugly scene there, and then finishes up at Texas Tech. And, um, you know, he took that one season off, and, and, and obviously was, um, he was involved in the, the student, um, well, a lot of, really a lot of controversies, of course, the student heckling. Um, at Baylor University, which, you know, he had to be restrained by a police officer. And there, there were a million different instances. But at Texas Tech overall, um, you know, he had coached, I'm trying to find the record here, uh, from 2000, uh, well, the years, 2001 to 2008. And, um, you know, he was a unique dude there too, you know, and, and he sold tickets and he you know, had some successful situations. Uh, he quickly improved the program, hadn't been to the tournament since 96. He leads them to the postseason in each of the first four years at the school with three NCAA championship tournaments and one NIT. Um, you know, had a rough 06, but then improved him in 07, 21 and 13, made the tournament. Um, best performance under night and the Red Raiders, of course, was 05. They made it to the Sweet 16. So, you know, the first six years there, 126 games. Uh, then things sort of kind of fell apart with a lot of the controversy and a lot of the violence and a lot of the temper. Uh, he hit a player named Michael Prince under the chin. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Knight did not comment on the incident afterwards, but, you know, Prince uh, and his parents in Texas Tech AD, Gerald Myers, insisted that Knight did nothing wrong. Um, and he merely lifted his chin and, and they were just kind of, um, you know, defending him uh, to a certain degree. Um, and Fran Fraschilla had defended him, but there were still kind of some question marks about all this. And then uh, James Simpson of Lubbock, Texas, if you remember, accused Knight of firing a shotgun in his direction after he yelled at Knight and another man for hunting too close to his home. Um, allegations were denied, blah, blah, blah. He won his 900th game. Uh, in his coaching career in 2008 against Texas A&M, but he argued with refs, you know, during the match, and it got really heated during that game. Uh, and then he retired, you know, in in 2008, and uh, that was pretty much it. And Pat Knight, um, you know, he was kind of the designated coach and waiting sort of thing. He was named immediately as a starter, and uh, you know, Knight was uh, a unique dude, man. He really was. Uh, he handed the job over to Pat in the midseason in part to allow him to get acquainted with the coaching, uh, coaching the team earlier instead of, you know, having to wait in October through the next, start of the next season and recruits are, you know, in the middle and all the rest. And uh, after coaching, though, he joined uh, ESPN as a color commentator and a studio analyst. I thought he was actually pretty decent. Um, and obviously, uh, he had refused to call Indiana games, but, but, but eventually did in 2012. Um, and he was doing the, the ESPN thing till 2015. I remember interviewing him and being scared out of my wits, uh, when he came to the dome, uh, to cover a game, but he was super nice. And, uh, I interviewed him and he shared a ton of, 
his relationship information about Jim Beheim and talked about the dome and how special it was and talked about his coaching career a little bit. And he gave me like four or five minutes. I thought he was tremendous. Um, so it was really, really great to, uh, to chat with, to chat with Bobby Knight. And, uh, you know, he, he ended up with all the nonsense that was going on with Indiana. Um, if you remember that it, it was really good to see that, uh, Don Fisher, uh, the, uh, Indiana radio announcer since 74 said during an interview that Knight was kind of getting sick and everything. And he continued by saying that Knight's health was declined, but he, you know, he didn't offer anything specific, but word had it that it was really, really bad. And he made his first appearance after Fisher made the comments and, uh, they kind of, uh, you know, rekindle a little bit. And, you know, Indiana and Bobby Knight certainly um, got back on really great terms, uh, which I think was great. Um, And he came with Bob Hamill and spoke about a lot of aspects of his career at Indiana. And during the presentation, he kind of struggled a little bit with the memory and all the rest. He reintroduced his wife a few times, Um, you know, and I think uh, people were kind of sad about it, you know, and people could kind of see that the end maybe was near. And then obviously four more years later, uh, Knight has left us. And I just think he's such a unique dude. I mean, I think when you look at his motion offense, um, he perfected it, he popularized it. Um, you know, it emphasizes for people who don't know, it emphasizes post players, you know, kind of setting screens and perimeter players passing the ball until the teammate just becomes so open for an uncontested layup or jump shot. Um, that's kind of how it works. Um, you know, and it's an unselfish system, uh, discipline, effective in setting and using screens to get open. Um, I think basically the motion offense, it didn't really take shape until Indiana. Obviously he, he ran kind of the reverse action motion and all the rest. Um, Bobby Knight always kind of called it a West coast offense that Pete Newell used exclusively during his coaching career. Um, so, I think Knight kind of learned a little bit about West Coast and Princeton offense and kind of mixed and matched and still a lot of cutting and, you know, the motion offense that he kind of developed, he perfected and popularized his own way. And with developing it and, you know, instituting different cuts over the years, putting his players in different scenarios, he was constantly adjusting to other defenses and he was constantly perfecting and popularizing this to the point where it was unstoppable. And, you know, look, like I said, unique, amazing legacy recognized around college basketball. Um, The Knight tree is absolutely amazing when you think about the assistant coaches, players, and managers that have gone on to be coaches in in the college ranks. I mean, you think about Hall of Fame coach Mike Krzyzewski, you think about Steve Alford, you think about Jim Cruz, you think about Chris Beard, you think about Mike Woodson, Isaiah Thomas, Lawrence Frank. Um, you know, whether they succeed or not, high level, low level, somewhere in, in the middle, Dan Dockich, uh, a million of them. Um, it, it, it is pretty remarkable, um, the tree of Bobby Knight. So he'll be missed, again, a unique, unique dude. Um, and uh, there will never, ever, 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 ever be another Bobby Knight. Final numbers for you on Bobby Knight's career. Are you ready to have your mind blown here? Uh, and by the way, how about the international impact too? My God, I, I, I left that out. I mean, the gold medal team in 84, you know, coaching MJ and all the rest. He coached in the Pan American Games. So he had a huge impact, um, you know, on the Olympic scene as well. Uh, international basketball and all the, uh, all the rest. He, he kind of showed some motion offense to his players uh, in, in the Olympics as well. So they got a real good idea of what that was all about. Um, College Basketball Hall of Fame inducted in 2006. He was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 1991. And as far as the numbers, I mean, look, NCAA champion with Ohio State in 1960. He won three NCAA championships with Indiana in 76, 81, and 87. He went to five Final Fours. He had 11 Big Ten regular season titles. 
and uh, in NIT in '79, and he's a two-time Coach of the Year. Uh, well, the the, Hen, uh, the the Henry Ebo Award and the Naismith College Coach of the Year, which is the big one uh, in 1987 when they won it all over Syracuse in the final. And then he won three AP Coach of the Years. He won the Claire B Coach of the Year once and a five-time Big Ten Coach of the Year. And uh, he, of course, won the Naismith Award for Men's Outstanding Contribution to Basketball in 2007. So quite the resume for Bobby Knight. And certainly, as I said, the uniqueness going on one end of the spectrum to the other, uh, his impact, his mind, his innovation, his temper, uh, his personality. Yeah, there will never be another Bobby Knight. Mike Lindsley with you here. It's the ML Sports Platter, all brought to you by Stumble and Monkey Brewing Company. Make sure if you're in and around Western New York, School Street in Victor, get on over to Stumble and Monkey Brewing Company, the official brewing company of the ML Sports Platter. And a huge thank you as well to Camillus Golf Club, Liverpool Physical Therapy, Barks and Rec Doggy Daycare, and Chick-fil-A of Cicero and Clay. Get on over to Chick-fil-A of Cicero and Clay for their fresh tenders and nuggets, the fries, the mac and cheese, fruit, and salads that are made to order at Chick-fil-A. And plus, they will cater your business business, breakfast, or lunch, and sweet treats galore with the milkshakes and the cookies. Stop by Chick-fil-A today, Cicero and Clay, if you are in and around Central New York, a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. Hey, thanks for listening, and as I always tell you, enjoy the games. SU Sports are underway. Hi, this is Joe Convertino Jr. here at CH Insurance. In our new offices downtown, we have over our entryway, work like a champion. We all high-five it to remind us of what we're here to do for you. Is an independent agent, we're seeking the right coverage at the right price to protect your business and all that's important to you. We play as a team, win as a team. That's our theme. Count on the team who knows there's no offseason. CH Insurance, in your corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.